I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey, welcome to Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction. More importantly, it's about recovery, and it's brought to you by our friends at KnowYourScript.org. KnowYourScript.org, a great place to go to find out more information about opioids and their purpose and their place and all kinds of information. Don't you agree, Dr. Matt? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I, th- I think it's, I mean, it's like anything. If you're educated on it, you you feel more confident in it, right? And so if you stopped by there before you went to a doctor's appointment, for example, mm-hmm. and kind of figured out like, oh, how should I ask some questions? What are some alternatives? Then you bring it up to your doctor and uh, docs. I mean, I think a lot of people are intimidated a little bit to talk sure. to their doctor. But my experience has been like, if you bring up, hey, I read about this. What do you think? Most of them are kind of interested because you're now not the boring patient anymore. There's you have something to say. There's a couple things I learned in my fraternity. One was how to bounce a quarter off a table into a glass. Yeah, well, that, that's like fraternity 101, I was pretty right? deadly yeah, at that. Yeah, and the other is, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And basically, what knowyourscript.org yeah, is, that's is a good giving way. you a plan. Yeah. So when you're going into a surgery, when you're talking to your doctor, when you're talking to your loved I ones. I find it helpful as a parent, right? Because you want to take good care of your kids. Because, you know, once again, I always say it on this podcast, anytime my son goes, Hey, Dad, I know there's a question, <laughs> and I'm not always prepared for those questions. And yeah. I think as parents, uh, I'm going to break the fourth wall here. Uh, yeah. Kids, we don't always know what's going on. Oh, don't tell them that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> a lot of times we're just trying to figure this out ourselves. Yeah, for sure. And and so, uh, you know, information is power, and uh, the more you can get, the better. Well, I would say if you have any sort of medical appointment coming up soon where, that, where painkillers may be part of it, Go by knowyourscript.org first, get a little bit of knowledge, Mm -hmm. you'll go in feeling confident. All right, now today's episode is going to be a little different uh, than episodes of the past. We don't have a guest today. Uh, we're I think com- it's going to be better. I, well, I don't know about that. We've had some amazing guests. That's and true. without our guests, we wouldn't be able to do this show because for three years, uh, we haven't missed a week. Well, we did miss one week. Yeah, we did. What was that for? <sighs> COVID. COVID. Oh, yeah, yeah that's right. So right. we missed one show in three years. But because of our guests, we've been able to tell just inspirational story after inspirational story, story about hope, story about loss, but more importantly, focusing on recovery. Mm-hmm. We want to give you more of what we have been giving you, but we also want to ask for your help. So if you have a story that you would like to tell, if you know somebody who has a great story that you think would be a good guest for this podcast, it, there's a couple of ways you can do it. You can hit us up on Instagram. Instagram, or you can hit us up on Facebook. You can message myself or Dr. Matt and and, and kind of give us some direction. Yeah. We'd really like to bring some people in and talk about gambling addiction uh, because I know that's a huge one. And it went up, uh, if you look at the national statistics, it's gone up a lot during COVID because people are home, working from home. And I know some people are like working on one screen and gambling away the money they're making on the other screen. It, it, I mean, it's it's a real addiction. And we'd love to kind of shine some light on that. And we'd also like to talk a little bit about pornography. We have had some guests in the past who will come and, and, and talk about their pornography addiction. But it is really tough 
to find somebody to come on a platform such as this and open up their world of addiction when it's uh, uh, I think that one is more uh, people are more self-conscious about that than than drugs and alcohol these days uh, so I for some reason, a lot of people have been asking me about pornography lately when I'm out in public, and they go, "Why is it so hard to find somebody to talk about it?" And 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 I'm even having a hard time trying to tell you why. But I can tell you that I think pornography is a, is an addiction, and it's huge in the state of Utah. It's huge in the country right now. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's, it's just a multi-billion-dollar industry. It's huge everywhere. But when people think of pornography. Their brain automatically goes to – well, not automatically. I don't know. But I think most people assume it has to do with pedophilia or, or – or, Let's be honest. It's like the word pervert comes up. Yeah, and pervert. All those negative connotations that we might have thrown around when we were kids. You yes. Know, the skeezy guy or the pervy guy, right? You, you imagine some guy with a mustache in a white van. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But the reality is, if it's a if it's a multi billion dollar industry, it's it, in your neighborhood, yeah, it's in it's your not, friend group, yeah. it's in your office place, it is everywhere. I still remember, and I, and I use this all the time when I'm talking to people about pornography, uh, and it's, it's something that you said on the podcast a couple of years ago. And I think I started it when we were kids, and we wanted to find pornography, or if we wanted to find a dirty magazine or whatever it was, you had to be walking through an empty field and lucky enough to kick up a box. <laughs> Yeah, you either had to have a good network yeah. uh, of pervy older brothers, yeah, or or get real lucky, you know, yeah. and find it. And you said, but nowadays uh, it's like the porn industry is, is back their truck into your kid's pocket, yes, and that's all through your phone. Yeah, I think that the analogy I used was like if the Bud Light truck backed up into your garage, you'd have a hard time maintaining sobriety because there's endless supply of free beer, right? And it, that's the way it is now on on a phone or you know, any screen. And we had we, uh, Smith. Smithy, I think he was oh, our Smith. guest. Smith, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he was a 17-year-old. Smith Alley. Yeah, he was a 17-year-old that came on our podcast and talked about his addiction to pornography. And I remember listening to him thinking, what a brave, courageous young man to come out at the age of 17 and say, I have an addiction to pornography. Because you know when uh, he's walking into kids' homes and he's around, you know, the, the stigma and the gossip and, and what's going on wasn't good. No, and at that age, it takes a lot of courage courage to stand out at all really yeah. for anything but especially something like that and we need more people who are willing to take that issue head on uh, part of the reason that pornography can become such an addiction for people is it's also there's an element of it uh, or of what gets you interested in pornography that's developmental right it's puberty as a kid you know gets older and starts to have sexual thoughts and feelings mm-hmm. then you get curious and boys are a little more visually curious about sex than girls. And so boys have always traditionally had more of a problem with pornography than girls. Although, guess what? Numbers of girls looking at pornography, of course, is on the rise. And pornography exists on kind of a continuum. A lot of stuff what that's happening on like TikTok now is, you know, the beginning. It's on the lower end of porn, but it's starting to just seep into the normal everyday life and viewing of our children. Mm -hmm. And so when your normal curiosity leads you down that path, then it can become something you rely on for self-soothing and calming, especially if you masturbate as you look at pornography. So there's a physiological element, there's a developmental element, uh, there's a coping skills element, all of which can keep you 
deep into the addiction of pornography. It's a very serious issue. So someone at the gym this morning, I was talking to a, a doctor, and we were talking about the podcast and talking about addiction, and he brought up pornography. Was he and a real doctor or like Dr. A, J? No, he was a real doctor. Oh, okay. Real right. doctor. Uh, I'm not sure what I don't kind. know if he was like a doctor of working out. or. But I read his handwriting, so it was I couldn't terrible. read it. it yeah, yeah so, so you knew that. Um, but let me ask you this. He was saying that there is a chemical reaction that happens in the brain. That is that true? Yeah, yeah, you bet. And so, I mean, that that buzz, that 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 it's the same. It's the same sort of reaction that happens when you have a normal sexual interaction with your partner. Okay, right? It's similar. It's it, especially if there's an orgasm involved, okay. which is it, it's exciting, and then it's also soothing. Uh, you know, it's calming. That's what, how you feel after you've had an orgasm, and so. The, the truth is uh, it gets dangerous for boys, especially when little boys, uh, you know, teenage boys who have a hard time managing difficult emotions like uh, anger, frustration, disappointment, embarrassment. If they turn to pornography and masturbation as a coping skill to calm themselves down, right. then think about what they're learning through their adolescence. And then as an adult, why would we assume that they would do something else to calm themselves down. Adult life gets harder and more frustrating and mm-hmm. anger happens. And so it it's tough to get out of using that. And it is very chemical that calms your body down, calms your brain down. So it's it's complicated. And I would love to have somebody come in and talk about that. And we can talk more about the physiology of it as well. But um, but it's a very serious issue, and it's very much behind closed doors. There's a lot of embarrassment. A lot of isolation. Yeah. So we weren't planning on doing uh, the first part of the show on pornography, but it, it seems to be going that way. So oddly enough, I had a, a friend reach out to me, and their son has been checking out pornography online. Uh, I asked them to what extent. They weren't sure, but they didn't know what to do. They didn't know where to turn. Now, I don't want to put you on a spot here, but – what would you suggest to a family member or somebody if you said you think their kid is maybe spending too much any time on pornography? Oh, yeah, that's tough. Uh, I would say the first thing is have a normal conversation about it. So it actually starts with the parents. You know, parents, can you have a normal conversation about pornography or are you riddled with judgment about pornography? And can you realize that it's not like when you grew up? When you grew up, pornography was much harder to come by. Yeah. And nowadays, it almost finds the kids. Uh, It's designed to be one click away at all times. Yeah. And so, first of all, I would say it starts with mom and dad sitting down and talking amongst themselves. How do we feel about it? Can we handle having a normal conversation? Are we educated on it, number one? Are we going to just end up shaming them? Yes, we want to avoid the shaming because that'll shut a kid down faster than anything. Then number two, can you... Wrap your mind around pornography being a normal part of the family conversation, just like you and I have tried to suggest drugs and alcohol ought to be a normal, you know, when your kid's going somewhere, you ask them, you know, is there going to be alcohol there? And, you know, have an open conversation about what drugs and alcohol do um, so that kids feel educated. So I would start with that. And then if if uh, you feel like you need more support, then honestly, this is a plug for therapy. This is where maybe even on a family level, you go in and say, we'd like to have a few visits with a a therapist, mom and dad and son uh, or daughter or whomever. And let's talk about kind of uh, what 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 it's doing. I think it's actually helpful for teenagers to go, oh, they don't realize 
they're using pornography for self-soothing. Really. Yeah. They don't realize the mechanisms that are happening in their brain. So getting a little education on it and then talking about how do we avoid it becoming a bigger problem. And sometimes that's just a great place to start. And you can leave that therapist maybe on hold for future visits if, if your child needs to go in on their own and talk about it. But that's where I, I would start with. It really starts with mom and dad getting on the same page. And you know what? Sometimes that'll be probably the first time that mom and dad have ever sat down and had a conversation about pornography. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, there's a lot of times that, I mean, that doesn't just come up. Like, And I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of dads that have a hard time talking to their kids about it because they're struggling with pornography as well. And so it's a good opportunity for the parents to really put in check where porn, what porn, what role porn has in their life. Just like if your kid's going to parties and drinking, what role does alcohol have in your life? These are things that if we're going to help our kids with it, we have to get right with it ourselves. And that's one thing that I've really learned by doing this podcast for the past three years is that, you know, for the longest time, uh, I thought my main role as a parent was to protect my kids. And, and I do agree that that's a big part of my job. But the other part of my job that I think we fail on a lot of times is preparing our kids for the real world that's out there. I mean, we, we I would love to live in a Norman Rockwell painting and tell everybody that everything's cool and yep. there's going to be no bad stuff out there. But the reality is there's bad stuff out there. There's bad people out there. There's bad situations. And if we don't prepare our kids for when they go out into that real world, it's going to eat them up. It is really we're doing them a disservice by not letting them know really what's out there. And and I think that is protecting our kids. And I know you do, too. I think parents who operate out of fear, which is understandable, we're all afraid of certain things for our kids. Mm -hmm. But when we make decisions based on that fear, then the type of we, we misunderstand, we think hiding our kids from the world is protecting them. And that's not. It's actually doing them a disservice. I think having open and honest conversations, you yourself trying to know what your kids are really facing today. Things aren't exactly the same as they were when you were a kid. And I would say that that's an interesting sort of thing to think about, that there are periods of history where things don't change too quickly. And then there are periods of history where some things change overnight. And we're living in one of those. Uh, I turned 50 later this month, so I'm getting pretty old. Right. Uh, but I can just tell you in the 80s when I was a teenager, um, things there was change and things were different, but it wasn't that much different than the 70s or maybe even the 60s, right? A lot of the temptations and things were the same. You know, people were still talking about, you know, there's a kegger party up the canyon or people were smoking cigarettes. Think about how much different life is today. Things that, that kids deal with every day weren't even in existence. Vaping, vaping wasn't a thing. You can get marijuana in a drink. You, yeah, I just learned that from you earlier today. I didn't even know you could buy I me. Mean, it makes sense. I guess you could drink it, whatever. I mean, there just the world has changed so much in the last 30 years. Uh, and if 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 you don't understand that as a parent, you're ill prepared to help the kids. So uh, we're going to take a break here. When we come back, we're going to tell you how to navigate the holiday parties if you're in recovery, what to do and what not to do. You're listening to Project Recovery right here on KSL. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. 
Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, welcome back to Project Recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That is Dr. Matt Woolley. He's a clinical psychologist. Coming up in just a few seconds, we're going to talk about the do's and don'ts when it comes to uh, recovery and the holiday parties. But I want to tell you about something that kind of cool that happened to me. It's probably about two weeks ago. Okay. Uh, I'm on field at the Weber State University football game. Right. That's that's one of your new gigs. Yeah. So I do the sideline games for people in between timeouts and TV timeouts and all that stuff. No, I, I have to be honest. I haven't watched or I know they're on the radio too. You can listen yeah. to them on the radio. So what? What's an example of something you do? Do you, so, is it clowning around? Or yeah, you, so it's just clowning around. So you'll never hear me on TV or radio. I'm oh. just there for people in stadiums. So I'll be like, hey, Baku bikes are the coolest bikes in the world. You can climb mountains in them, and they're going to help you do all the hunting and all the enjoy outdoor and activities you want okay all right so i say it like that and then i give somebody something or i get two contestants out there to catch footballs and somebody walks away with some diamond earrings or stuff like that wow i need it's to go it. to some football games so then they asked me if i would do the weber state basketball games and i was like you bet i would love to do that oh and, okay and, yeah, so, that's... so it's cool but while i'm there this young man comes up to me and he goes hey i just want to say thank you i go for what and he goes how excited we are that you would be willing to come and do this for us and i go well I, I thank you. I, I appreciate that. I said, but you know what? I don't think you know what it means for you guys to ask me to do this. Because three years ago, I didn't think anybody would ask me to do anything. I know. So, yeah. so for the fact that you invited me, trusted me, and were okay with bringing me out in front of, you know, Five ten thousand people, right? Uh, whenever there's a home game, and be able to entertain and do what I love to do so much, it means the world to me. So I don't think you guys will ever know what this means to me. Yeah. So the guy walks away, and I sit to the guy next to me. His name's Kai, and he kind of is my handler and tells me where to go and what to say and hands me the stuff. Yeah. I go, who was that guy? And he goes, you don't know. I don't know. He goes, that's Doctor Brad Mortensen. He's the president of the university. <laughs> Nice. And uh, I went, wow. And so, I, I mean, it really just made my heart so full. You know what I mean? I thought it was just some dude. Some, some guy, yeah. <laughs> some dude. And I was he like. Just, just happens to be the president of the, of the university. university. Yeah. Coming down and taking his time to say, hey, thank you. And well, so. That's really neat. That's good. I mean, it, it, it just, I mean, honestly, I was walking on cloud nine after that. I was like, man. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I will tell you this: being a university professor myself, um, that's a good that's a good university president because I've been <laughs> I've been around some that aren't so great, and I've been around some that are awesome. So good for him, and good for you. I mean, I think that uh, th- that is. I know that when we first spoke, uh, when you got out of rehab, that uh, you weren't so you're you're hopeful, but you weren't very certain that people would ever want to work with you again. I, I, I didn't know. And, you yeah. know, for the longest time, it wasn't cool to be a Casey Scott fan. You know, you know I right. mean, it, it, was, it just wasn't what it once was. Yeah. And so now you got university presidents thanking you for showing up. And it made me feel so good. Cool. I, I really did thank him and thought, what an amazing deal. So I want to pull up this thing. It's recovery, addiction, and it's holidays. Uh, and and I wanted to give people some do's and don'ts of what to do. Have you done some Facebook research? Is no, I, I actually went to the actual internet for this. Oh, wow. Yeah. You're getting serious. Yeah. And yeah. so let me see if I can find it. But you've yeah. got some stuff too as well. I do. I have a few things. Um, 
just based on a few things that uh, that I might tell people when they come in the office, because um, there are quite a few people that I work with that are in recovery uh, and they may be coming to me primarily for other things. But we talk about, you know, the holidays can be a tough time. So one, th- I mean, one thing that's a general principle of behavior change that's really, really important is replace instead of instead of cut out or refuse. Uh, and what I mean by that is, if you're if you uh, let's say alcohol was your your DOC drug of choice, and you were that the holidays are coming up, and you know uh, your mom makes a a mean eggnog or whatever it is, and you're used to drinking of that. Don't come into those parties or those situations and just say, oh, no, I don't nothing for me, nothing for me. Mm -hmm. That's really, really hard. You'll be much more successful if you replace it with something healthy. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And that's true with like people who diet, people who just try to cut out food are never very successful for very long. But if you replace it so that you're full with healthy things, you're going to stick to your diet longer. Same thing with sobriety. And and so another little tip I have is bring your own stuff. That's right. When it goes back to the things I learned in my fraternity. Yeah. Uh, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. If you know you're going to a party and you like eggnog, right? Bring your own eggnog. Yeah. You, you and know, bring, and bring what you're going to drink. What that, you're going to drink, you, and so you're not yeah. left out. Because a lot of times that I've noticed when I've been sitting around a table after golf and people are ordering beer and all that other stuff, if you don't get anything, it makes it awkward for them as well as it does for you. Does right. that make sense? Because right. They're like, well, and then they start questioning themselves. Like, well, should I not be drinking? I go, no, no, you can drink. And they might accuse you of being kind of judgy, right? Yeah. And so you're sitting there with nothing to drink. And yeah. So, so I found this new thing because the, the waitress at the bar, she comes and she goes, she's in recovery too. And she goes, hey. She's working at the bar. Yeah, hey, but All right. you know what? I mean, that's good. That's that's fine. Everybody does what they need yeah, to do. No, totally. And she goes, "Have you tried sparkling water with lime in it?" And I was like, <laughs> "Dun dun dun." And I was like, "Is it good?" She goes, "It's not bad." And I was like, "Bring me one." And there so you go. she brought it, and it was in just a cup, and and I yeah. sat there and I drank it. And I mean, I don't have a problem with people drinking, and my friends are all cool with what I how I live my life now, so it's not that big a deal. But early on in my recovery, I didn't know what to do. There was a lot right. of times that I'd go to a party, and you don't know how many times people go, "Does this bug you?" If I'm drinking this, right, right, and, and I go, N- and they don't know what to offer you yeah, if yeah, they've go, been drinking. No, yeah, I don't no, know. I know yeah. it's okay because I go. Well, are you an alcoholic? And they go, no. I go, then no, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> if you were in recovery and drinking, right. we'd probably sit down and have a conversation. But right. no, who am I to judge? I I just know alcohol and me do not mix. And right. so I'm okay with that. Well, and that actually, you, that's a good segue to another one of my, I guess we'll call them tips mm-hmm. for holiday sobriety. I'm saying do's and don'ts. <laughs> do's and don'ts. Okay, I can yeah. get behind that. Um, a do is... Talk with other people in recovery. Get some ideas. What are they doing? You know, this waitress came up to you and she offered you, you know, a sparkling water with lime. And that's what she does. It's interesting and helpful to find out what other people are doing. It takes a village, Dr. Matt. It does. You know, and the recovery community is really giving. And so there's a lot of uh, message boards on Facebook, on an Instagram, and, and you reach out there and go, hey, what do you do in this situation? What have you found that works for you? Uh, what did you not like? Uh, uh, you know, and the other thing is that I, I don't want to go in on your do's and don'ts because you might have this coming up here. That's fine. Is that you need to know what you're getting into before you go to a certain party. Because right. I can tell you right now, some of my parties, uh, like family parties, you know that it's not going to be good. So that's a perfect segue. One of my do's is have realistic expectations 
in order to maintain your emotional stability. Mm-hmm. So it's one thing to go up to the, go to a party that you know is going to be fun and you bring something for yourself to drink that's non-alcoholic so that you're ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is holidays aren't always fun. No. And they can be full of a lot of triggers for people. Uh, they can be full of a lot of stressors. Uh, if you're new in sobriety, there may be some people are still a little ticked off at you for yeah. behavior from the past, right. family that hasn't forgiven you. You might be mad at family. So have, be realistic in your expectations. Where am I going? Who's going to be there? How's it likely to make me feel? You know, should this be a short visit? Is it okay to stay a long time? Are there topics or, or people to maybe try to avoid? You know, uh, it's very, it's a very good idea to have some limits on what you're willing to talk about. So if you sit down at, you know, Thanksgiving dinner and, uh, somebody brings up my favorite story of this, this is a true story, is this uh, lady came in after at therapy years ago and after Thanksgiving, she said, she said, Dr. Matt, you're going to be so proud of me. That I uh, what I did at Thanksgiving. I said, "Oh, okay. What what you do?" And she said, uh, "You know, at the beginning, when everybody usually goes around and talks about what they're thankful for." And I said, "Yeah, yeah. We used to do that, but we all took a shot." Yeah. Okay. She said, uh, "Instead, I decided to air a grievance. It was like uh, that Seinfeld <laughs> episode of airing of grievances, right? Like she she went around and told everybody what she was ticked about. So it was like the worst Thanksgiving ever. So you would want to avoid those sorts of confrontations. And if that's happening in your family, you might need to excuse." yourself you know and i think as a host of a party uh it's just as important for you to know who's coming and so if you've got a loved one that's coming that's in recovery you know maybe go that extra mile and get them something to drink maybe set up the talk talk to them ahead of time right is that what you're gonna say yeah talk to them ahead of time and go hey you know we're having a party there's gonna be alcohol one is that okay two we'd like to have a beverage of for you what would you like we you know we really want to go out and and get this for you and the other thing is is i think you want to talk to people in the family and set realistic expectations going hey this is about christmas and this is a family this isn't about the thirty five hundred dollars that you know right if there are issues that need to be addressed this is not the time yeah this is airing of grievances at thanksgiving dinner right. is not the place for yeah. that yeah and so I, and it does take a village and addiction is a family disease and sometimes and there may be people there that you owe apologies to um, but don't let's not do that during yeah. the party or after they've had four or five cocktails yeah <laughs> because that's not gonna end well what yeah. else do you have on the do's and don'ts well one of them is uh is is actually be healthy so a lot of people uh, feel a lot of stress during mm-hmm. the holidays. And if and when I say be healthy, I have three specific things in mind. One is uh, get some good sleep. Like sometimes in the holidays, we run run ourselves a little ragged. Burning the candle at both ends. And you get feel you get kind of weak. So uh, get some good sleep. Uh, if even if you don't normally exercise, start walking. Get a little bit of extra exercise going. Uh, the holidays come during the winter, so you know here in Utah and a lot of places, it, less sunlight. So try to get out, get some healthy sunlight, and then eat healthy. If you're feeling nourished, if you're feeling good. If your body's feeling healthy, you're more likely to make good choices. It's sort of like if you go exercise in the morning and have a healthy breakfast, then you're you're not very likely to give in to an unhealthy eating for the rest of the day. Well, some of the tips that I found uh, in my research for this topic was stay on your routine. Uh, because a lot of times that's the that, holidays can throw you off. Yeah. You know, so if time. you like to work out, make time for working out, uh, make sure that you plan for the parties and all the other stuff. So some of the things that I found, you know, on this are, are pretty amazing. 
Uh, let's see. Uh, the first one is you're not responsible for your guest's recovery, even if that guest is your child, sibling, or parent. Behind the scenes, orchestrate to help the recovering person through the event can sometimes be unhelpful. Instead, reach out to him, like we said earlier, and uh, see if the event goes smoothly. And if they don't think that they can do it, then go, I think it's maybe best if you don't come. And that, that can be some of that. We've talked a lot about families providing tough love and support. And and that might be tough to say if you're if you're not sure you can handle being here, uh, then you know we support you in not coming. Okay, let's play the flip side of that coin now. Mm-hmm. Okay, for a lot of times holidays mean uh, family get together, right? What if you don't have a family and you're in recovery? You find yourself in your apartment all by yourself. You're isolating. That can be just as scary for somebody in recovery as going to a party filled with alcohol. So you need to build your community. We said the opposite of addiction is what? Connection. And so you need to find that connection. And you can do that through Zoom, through AA. There's USARA. There's a lot of groups out there. Nobody should have to go through the holidays alone. So if you do find yourself in a situation like that, reach out. Reach out and build a community. Uh, Reach out and go to meetings and get some support. Also, reach out and do some service work. Um, That's a real, you know, if you find yourself like, well, I I have some people to go to Thanksgiving dinner with, but then Friday and Saturday and Sunday, I'm going to be alone. Mm -hmm. I I guarantee you there's some places in town where you could volunteer your time to help uh, in a shelter or other places, and that'll fill you up uh, in a way that, that really helps you keep making good choices for yourself. Well, you might think we're done with this topic, but we're not. Stick around. More from Project Recovery coming up. Hey, welcome back to Project Recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. Today, we're talking about the do's and don'ts of recovery Mm -hmm. during the holiday months. Right. Uh, We kind of got your list. I found my own list, and so I wanted to kind of of go through this. And uh, remember, people who achieve long-term sobriety, they have three characteristics in common. Dr. Matt, they are, they make a firm commitment to abstinence. And so that means they're, you know, they're not waffling on anything. Well, they're not like, like, maybe I'll have a drink. Well, I, you know, it, it's like me when I stood in front of the, the, the cough medicine. Uh, you know what I mean? I, to That's me, a good, that yeah. would be a gateway. And if somebody's going, well, it's just eggnog. You know what I mean? Nobody gets hammered on eggnog. It's just one drink. No, you're abstinence. You're not doing anything. So stand firm on abstinence because a little things can go a long way. And know soon, your boundaries. Yeah. As soon as you open that up a little bit. It can get ugly. Uh, they make a lifestyle change to enhance that commitment. And I think that's what a lot of people need to realize. Uh, recovery for uh, an addict is a lot like a lifestyle change for somebody who's obese or something. It, it, a diet is for, not – For any big change. Yeah, yeah, a diet is not the answer. A diet will help you lose 10 pounds so you look good on that cruise. But are you going to be able to maintain that? Chances are that's not what you're going for. Right. You just wanted to make it look good in a bikini on Temporary a versus permanent. Yeah. And so make that lifestyle change. Three, they plan and practice for urges and drinking situation. So you know what you're going to say. It's, it's okay to go in. If somebody goes, hey, can I get you a drink? You go, no, I'm okay. And that sort of is related to one of the things on my list, which is have an accountability partner. 
What? Because my next one says, take a sober friend with you if possible. Uh, we are in sync. You, you know? And, and, and that's not a bad idea to have somebody to talk to. Uh, my sober person is my girlfriend, lovely Leslie. Yeah. You, you know? And she knows that when I get in a situation uh, where people have maybe had too many drinks, I look at her and she goes, oh, we're done? And I go, yep, let's go. Okay. Because and she never, that support person for you. She never fights now, me on it. Does she normally drink or not drink? Normally doesn't drink. Because she's not in recovery. No, she's not in recovery. Yeah. In the three years I've been with her, I've maybe seen her drink five times. And why is that? Is she just not, not her thing? or You know, I asked her that. I go, you know, I go, why don't you? She goes, I just. She, she doesn't cut loose at parties or anything like no, that? No, she cut loose at a party, but she doesn't. She not doesn't, with alcohol. She doesn't need to drink to do it. Okay. It's. It, it, and to me, it blows my mind. I go, wow. <laughs> you, know, you know, I think she would drink like a gentleman. She, she goes, you, I could take it or leave it. Do you think that makes it harder for her to relate to you because because she has she doesn't really drink much? Hmm. I, I mean, she's I, I've been like tremendously impressed with how supportive she's been because you had just barely started dating her when you got two your, months when you two got months your before DUI. I went to rehab. Yeah. Yeah. Which, and I think most girls would have been like, see ya. Yeah, no. um, but she wasn't. She didn't. She's she's stuck around and seen you through all of your recovery. She drove me around for a year. I didn't yeah. have a license. Right, exactly. And she lived forty minutes away from well, me. So maybe maybe it doesn't make it hard for her. Maybe she's just naturally an empathetic person. I was just curious if you thought maybe sometimes you were like, you don't know what it's like. No, I, I no, I Okay. No, I don't think so. Well, that says a lot about her, I think. Uh, let's see. Have an exit strategy. And that's my look to Leslie. That's my exit strategy. She knows when I give her that look that it's time to go. And, yeah. you know, so come up with an exit strategy. Uh, and just, you know. Well, so like what would be an exit strategy you guys have used? Like you find. Give me a real example. So we were at a party this summer. Uh, everything was good. Uh, people were jamming out in the backyard. There was a live band. Uh, the band just just the, the party you showed up with, uh, like a twelve pack yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it, then it just started. It, then it was then it was somebody running around with shots. You know what I mean? People progressed throughout the night. Yeah. Like you can like you can see the level of excitement on a, like a meter at a party. You go, this is cool. This is cool. And there's like an hour at a party where everything's golden. Everybody feels good. Everybody's nice. Everybody's like, hey, how are you? Missed you. We should do more stuff and then about there's a tipping point there's a right? tipping point <laughs> then it's like somebody's staring at your shoulder somebody can't dance somebody <laughs> fell over and right. then somebody's running around with shots which would usually have been me like okay yeah. it's time to get this whole party turned up let's get everybody faded. take it to the next level and, and then that's when i go i'm out Okay. Because you're going to talk to me, and you, you think can what you're sense that tipping point. Yeah, you're going to talk to me, and you're going to say something that you think's fascinating that I need to hear. I'm going to act like I give a crap because I don't understand where you are at right now. Mm-hmm. So this is just awkward for both of us. So that's when I just leave. And so you, you just leave. You don't have like a code word. No, between, I, I, you know, it's a look. I just, just look at Leslie. Look at her. I go, Leslie, let's go, and she'll look back at me, and I go. Ah, just kind of a tilted head, you know, okay. just kind of go. So you guys understand each yeah. other. She's like, okay, what cool. if it's, what if it's, uh, what if Leslie wasn't able to come I and mean, let's say it was just a friend, somebody you're not that in sync with. You can't just give them the look and they know what you're talking about. Let's say it's a guy. He doesn't, he's not that in tune. Do you know so, what it, so would you have a code word or do you know what an Irish exit is? No. An Irish exit is where you act like you're going to the bathroom and you just leave. <laughs> And that's what I do. Oh, yeah. Like, like okay. I just go, okay, hold on. I got to go to the bathroom. I go to the bathroom and I walk right to my car and I leave. All right. And I just, and, and then tomorrow they go like, hey, you didn't say goodbye. And I go, yeah, I did. 
Yeah. And they're like, I don't remember. And it's like, yeah, you were pretty drunk. <laughs> so, so my, my, <laughs> I like that. I like it's it. It's just an Irish exit. You I just, just want to know. See ya. Why is that not racist? It's know. not right. It's no, not. it's not. No, yeah, we can sit and t- you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm Irish too, but yeah. Well, yeah. No, it's an Irish. Isn't that funny? That's yeah. not racist. No, at all. it's not. Yeah. Uh, make sure your car is not parked in a spot where it's blocked in by others. Oh, and, and yeah. That, that sounds silly, but it's really smart because what you don't want to do is go talk to a yeah. bunch of people who have been drinking and go, Trying to hey, get can their I get your keys? keys? I got to yeah. move your car. I got to go, where are you going? The party's just starting. Yeah. Well, I'm an alcoholic and I'm in recovery. And <laughs> you know what I mean? It just, it just leads to some bad conversations. Well, and with big family parties and, and friend parties coming up for the holidays, that's probably a realistic thing to worry about. Yeah. This one's kind of interesting. Observe the people pounding the drinks down. Ask yourself if they really are witty, popular, or just incoherent and not very interesting. And that's where I told you. I'm not saying that, but there's a point where you become that guy. Yeah. You know, and, and I was that guy for the majority of my life where I got to a certain point and I'd been drinking and everything I said was funny. Everything I did was amusing. And you were lucky to have me here at your party. Yeah. But the reality is now that I'm sober and I see what's going on at a party, no, I wasn't witty. You weren't lucky to have me at your party, and I owe you an apology. So if if we followed that advice, how does that help the person who, it, just noticing that, like observing others, how does that help you if you're in sobriety? I'm it, curious. What it reaffirms my beliefs that I am better sober. Okay. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, because right I still have to say sorry because I'm still me, but I say sorry nearly half as much as I used to because I don't put myself in situations where I'm putting my foot in my mouth or I'm, I'm, I'm breaking furniture or I'm doing something that I should be ashamed of myself. I'm, and there's not, I'm not saying everybody needs to be ashamed of themselves because I don't think that's a thing. But if you go back and watch the videotape of you when you were hammered, you would be less yeah. impressed. I would say, I would sober. say, Shame isn't helpful, but self-awareness is. I think that's it. Self-aware. Right. So that's what reaffirms in my beliefs that I'm doing okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, like, uh, I like that. Let's see. I got one more for you. When you're going to these parties, uh, remind yourself what the actual purpose of the party is. You know, mm. and, and, and that takes me back. That seems like an obvious one, but I hadn't thought of that. But. Okay, I, and I I'll often share my life experience with you and how it relates to recovery and this kind of question is that I remember when my son was turning two and uh, right before the party was starting, I go to my ex-wife, I got to go, go to the store, got to get some stuff for the party. She was okay, didn't even question me. I came back and I had 20 red Solo cups and two cases of beer. And she goes... Because it's a two-year-old birthday party, so that's that exactly makes what sense. She said, I go, it's for the party. And she goes, your son's two. Yeah. And it was really for me because I wanted to drink and Excuse. have a good time. Yeah. But the purpose of the party was for my son. Right. And so it was for his birthday. And what was I doing? Well, I wasn't doing anything to bring anything to my son for his birthday. It was all for me. So if you're going to a family Christmas party, it's about seeing family members that you haven't seen in a while. It's about love. It's about togetherness. And it's about family. This isn't a time to get drunk and bring up problems of the past. It's time right. to celebrate that we're all alive and we're here together. And it could be better, but it could be worse. Let's just love one another. Yeah, I, I no, I really like that. I mean, I I do think that seems rather obvious, but I hadn't really thought of it in those terms. 
Um, I like that. In fact, that sort of dovetails with one of our unofficial themes of our show, which is that the opposite of addiction is connection. Right. And so uh, if you go into a Thanksgiving dinner, a holiday party, uh, a get together with friends, you know, I think maybe a prevailing, you know, purpose you could say is to have a healthy positive connection with people that I love and care for and and can I really accomplish that if I if I give in to drinking right. or using drugs at this party um, I think it's important to know your triggers I think it's important to have a have a you know a sobriety partner there with you to have an exit strategy but I think overall if there was just one thing to keep in mind it's like what's the real um, important purpose of getting together tonight uh, that might keep you on on your path better than anything. Uh, you've got a question that a listener wrote to you. Oh yeah, well, it's just sort of a you know kind of a one off interesting thing. So I had one of our our listeners had reached out to me, and he, she, or they, whoever, uh, keeping it anonymous. I, I thought you were yeah. using pronouns, and I was it like, was, cool, yeah, Doctor Matt. Is I awesome. guess those are pronouns. Yeah, I'm so very trendy. Um, but yeah, so so this person reached out and they said, listen, uh, I've been sharing my story about sobriety, but the reality is my story's not that dramatic like we've had some people on on the show made a fish fighting in the garage there you go so many things so many things and this person was like they actually sort of got reprimanded by somebody who said you don't really have that big of an addiction story you really are just self-aggrandizing why are you sharing why are you sharing your story and and so i know what i said to to our listener but i'm curious what because this person was like should i stop because it's not that dramatic of a story, should I not share it with people? I'm curious what you think. I'm no, I I, I think the person who told him that uh, was rude. Uh, I think you should share your story to whoever is willing to listen to it. I don't think you force your story on anybody. Right. I don't think you lead with your story. But if, if if it's a big part of your life, it reminds me of when we had Tony on. Uh, she's my ex wife's best friend. Right. Yep. And she said. Uh, I tell my story to my closest friends because if they don't know my story, they don't really know me. Yeah. And it is a big part of who I am. And so I think I would say to uh, this person who wrote to you is share your story, but make sure people want to hear your story. You don't force your story on anybody. Uh, I agree with that. You find places where your story can be beneficial. Yeah. Uh, Because you never know – when uh, that might really inspire somebody. At the very least, I like what Tony said, and that is she was being very authentic. You can't really know me and be close to me if you don't know what I've been through. And so uh, I agree. That's basically what I told this person. And I use sort of the analogy that some people are sort of like crabs in a bucket, right? And I don't know if this is actually true. So if you're from the East Coast, maybe you can tell us. But the the lore is that if you get one of those big silvery buckets and you throw crabs in it that you've been catching that they won't get out because when one gets up to the top one of the lower crabs grabs it and pulls it down and i think people can be like that a oh, lot 100%. where they see somebody progressing and doing well and they want to sort of knock you down and so don't give in to those people you you do your thing uh be aware you know am i forcing my story that then you might want to dial it back but otherwise i think uh being authentically you Man, that's the best. That's the best way you can be. The other thing I would worry about is, um, and I've seen it a lot in recovery, and we've met a lot of people in this podcast. 
that their identity becomes their story. I would I would be hazardous of that because you are more than just your story. That's and true. You know what I mean? And yeah. if your identity is solely based on your story, then you're not out there currently living. You've got to have more than just your story. Your story is what got you to where you are right now. But if you're still just reliving that story day in and day out, what are you doing? Well, I think that's one of the great things about recovery. And one of the reasons I feel it's fun to continue to do this podcast is that it's sort of like, okay, here's my story. Now I'm in recovery. Now what? Yes. Like what's, what's next in my life? And, and so many people have gone on to sort of, I I hate to sound cliche, but live their dreams, become their best self. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, they're doing things like, you know, being a wildcat on the f- sidelines at Weber State or whatever it is, yeah, kitty, 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 kitty. <laughs> whatever it is, it's like, yes, now for sure your addiction held you back in some way. Mm-hmm. And so if you're in recovery now, you ought, I think you ought to be thinking to yourself, now what? Now what's the dream that I can make happen? And that becomes part of your identity. Your story shouldn't be continually holding you back. It should be propelling you forward. There you go. And so that's what I would say to that person. And we we like it when you send us questions. If you have comments, we try to read them all. We appreciate you stopping by today. Uh, don't forget the holiday seasons are coming up. Uh, make sure you reach out to loved ones. Understand those in recovery and family members of those in recovery because it is a family disease addiction. So thank you for listening to the podcast today. Uh, it's brought to you by our friends at knowyourscript.org. We love them. We thank them. And without them, we couldn't do this. You're listening to Project Recovery. It is what, Dr. Matt, it's a KSL podcast. Right on. of this program are for informational purposes only. The program is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician, licensed therapist, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you've heard on this program. KSL does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on the program. Reliance on any information provided on the program is solely at your own risk. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.